Welcome back to the Mindsets Podcast. Today I'm joined by Stevie War. Uh, we're going to have a little chat about uh, where he's got to in sport uh, and fitness. Um, so first of all, would you like to give a little bit of an introduction about yourself? Yeah, sure. So as Angus has said, Stevie War, um, I'm currently competing in natural bodybuilding. Um, my special or my specialist category is classic physique, but as of in a week's time, I'll be branching out into men's physique as well. So um, we'll see how that goes. Cool. So when I first sort of knew you, we're going back to primary school time. Yeah. Um, and things are a little bit different now. Yeah. And it's fair to say. We, we grew up, we <laughs> both went to the same set of schools um, and sort of the, the sport I remember you dominating in was rugby when you were a number eight and you just mm. ran everyone over. Um, but I, I hope you don't mind me saying this, you were larger than most other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, uh, it was a rolling thunder kind of thing. <laughs> um, but rug, rug, rugby still lights your fire? Um, I mean, I, I work in rugby, so I, I work at Harlequins, right. um, but in the, like, the foundation side there, it's a bit of a it's a bit of an odd one. Um, so, are you happy if I just sort of cover? Yeah, of the, course. Yeah. Yeah. So, like initially, again, like when I first met Angus in primary school, I was what you probably describe as like a chonkosaurus. Like I was a heavy <laughs> kid, so at ten was like ten stone, but also was um like was born with severe dyspraxia. Right. So like the doctors told my parents that I'd never be able like I'd never be coordinate enough to like ride a bike or kick a football. Wow. Um, and like coming from so my dad being like a semi pro footballer and was like an all round athlete. Mm. Um, so it got to the point he was told that and like literally threw all of his medals into the bin because he's like my if my son's never going to be able to like you know experience any of this then I don't want it there like taunting him. Um, but they put me into judo from like a very young age to gain some kind of a coordination and like where I'd fall over a lot. Um, basically like learn how to fall safely um, and then from that you know was never particularly good at that to start with but then as you said like getting to secondary school and grew from like summer so going from year six into secondary school went from five two to five eight so like rocking up and everyone's like five foot and then you know you are like a, a giant of a year seven so then again like that's when I started really playing rugby and you know, when you're like twice the size of the other kids and you're running at them, it's, it is a mismatch. Um, Did you get some sort of satisfaction in that? Um, Back then, do you think? Because I, I remember seeing it and it was very satisfying watching you run with the ball. <laughs> I mean, it's a weird one. Like, I was, I was quite, yeah, I, I mean, I was quite an angry kid, like particularly when you're, you know, when you get all of them changes in your body, not just the physical, but like the, the chemicals, so, you know, you get a massive hit of testosterone. And I can remember being like really angry, like going into secondary school. Really? Yeah, like you, you know, and like rugby was where you could just vent it. So I remember like you get the ball and, you know, I, I coach a lot of players. And when you coach, you might never run at a player, always like attack the space. But for me, I just like want to run at someone as hard as I physically could. And like, like you want to try and hurt them. Um, and not in like necessarily because you dislike that person, but you just, again, you just got like this anger inside. Riled up. Um, yeah. And it's weird because like when you look into it and you're like, you know, everybody or every young male gets testosterone sort of released into their body at different ages and different amounts that like you get some kids and you know around that time I had acne as well which is like a telltale sign yeah, of yeah. having high testosterone levels um so I think that probably like all well look back at it that makes sense there but yeah sort of rugby was a sport then that like I latched to and was yeah was, was quite good at that um but then sort of as I got into like latter secondary school you know also got quite good at judo then so like my coordination really started to to develop there um 
Yeah. So are you still doing martial arts or judo or did you leave that behind? Um, no. So my, my goal was to get my black belt in judo. Like I think it was as the rugby really took off, that's when sort of I kind of had enough with judo, mm-hmm. like realised the importance of it. But I promised my dad I'd get my black belt. So I got my black belt um, and then sort of as I got that was when like I was playing at my best level of rugby. So that was going, just going into college. Right. So we were playing in like what would be the championships or one under the bucks. Um, but again, like that's where you're going from being like a giant and physically dominating. And then yeah. all of a sudden you are the smallest guy in the pack by literally like 10, 15 kilo. Yeah. Um, and that's where like the judo side of it came in. Cause it's, you know, like when you're in close quarters, you're in a breakdown, you're up against a guy that's a lot bigger than you. Judo is all about taking someone's momentum and using it against them. So, you know, it's actually like I'm giving away this this physical dominance to the other guy, but I know what I'm doing and that guy doesn't. So you can like bend them up in ways where like, how's this smaller guy doing that? But the issue you've still got is, you know, I don't particularly want to have many like 20 stone guys running straight at me because it, it does take a physical toll on the body. Yeah. So, I mean... We'll, we'll get into physical talk because obviously with different sports mm. one thing that I found having conversations with other people is yeah there's there's a big adjustment uh, phase yeah. between changing sort of discipline um, but with with judo um, is it still of interest to you do you still sort of pay attention to what goes on in the judo world or is um, it kind of is it is it a closed chapter I think judo is for me like again I've got siblings who are England squad team uh, team GB so like the whole time, even like when I'd stopped really doing it, but they were still doing it, you're mm. interested in that. But then obviously, you know, there's not a lot of money in judo. So yeah. a lot of good judokas then go into MMA. Yeah. You know, like look at Ronda Rousey that went into the UFC and like where you've both done the same martial art, you're like, you want to follow them and yeah. see them do well. Um, and then, yeah, I thought of like, once you get into the UFC, then you're like, like I really love it as a spectacle, as a spectacle, sorry. So for me, like my definition of sport like in my own head is two people in a confined area, like in a cage, just, you know, sort of taking all the skill of their development, honing and using it to try and beat the other person. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you know, you're watching as much as you love, like a slugfest, it's having that appreciation for the technical side of it. Yeah. So whether it's like the grappling and trying to maneuver someone into a certain position to get an armbar or something like that. Yeah, and yeah. there's actually like really enjoyment as much, yeah. uh, sorry, in that as much as there is like, just seeing two people standing there and just going at it. Yeah. Well, I mean, something else I wanted to bring into this conversation of you transitioning between sports. Mm. Am I right in thinking that you're the oldest sibling? Yes. Yes. So you have uh, a younger brother and a younger sister? Got two younger, two younger brothers, brothers and yeah. a sister. How, um, how did that come into play? Obviously, with brothers, there's usually a bit of competition. Yeah. Um, I remember, I think you've got a brother, Charlie. Yeah, yeah. So he, he was quite good at rugby as well. Yeah. Um, did you feel at any point that you were kind of the role model or was it a competition in the family um, to be better at different sports? It was like, it was heavily competitive. So like, you'll get a lot of siblings, they're going through primary and secondary school, like they'll fight at home. Yeah. Whereas in my house, it was actually like a UFC event because we're not just fighting, but we're all skilled fighters. So it's not a case of like, you're standing there, you're just hitting like your sibling, like, we are looking for arm bars, we're looking for chokes. Wow. And it's one thing like looking to do it, but then knowing how to do it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something like my dad encouraged. So okay. he's almost like refereeing it. And it's, you know, as long <laughs> as no one gets seriously hurt, it's practice. Yeah, true. Um, and you see it with like a lot of like successful martial artists. It came from them, you know, like at home having siblings to compete with. So you look at like your purposeful practice and getting in like your reps. That's one way of doing it. Um, 
I think on the competitive side, I was like growing up quite frustrated because, you know, I was the first to do judo and then I get a brother and a sister coming in where, you know, I got up to number two in the country. Charlie gets into the England squad. I just missed out on that. Jay gets into Team GB. I get into, you know, I'm the first one to get into rugby. Trialed for Harlequins. Charlie gets into Harlequins and you're like, sort of everything you're doing, there's then siblings coming in. Yeah. But then, you know, I went to uni, did a degree in sports coaching. That's actually like one of the modules I studied was, you know, you look heavily into actually, you know, if you've got a house or you've got siblings and they all do the same sport, the younger siblings tend to be better because at a younger age, they get in more practice against more skilled or, you know, more physically dominant, yeah. I guess, an opponent. So then you've got to learn other ways of beating that person. Mm -hmm. So then when you're going up against someone who is the same age or same size as you, well, that's easy because I spent all these hours like that's competing true. against someone that is, you know, whether more dominant or more skilled. I think that's, uh, that's something that I can genuinely say I did sort of miss in my mm. childhood, actually. I've got uh, an older sister. Um, she was never really into sport. Yeah. And so most of the time, my competition was with a bin in the garden if I was playing football. Yeah. Or, um, yeah, I, I had to sort of rely on friends or the actual organised sport to get mm. any sort of level of competition. And I definitely did notice that um, most of my mates, if, especially if they were the oldest, mm. uh, their younger brothers or younger sisters ended up being arguably much better than them at sport. Yeah. But they, I do find that you'll find those siblings tend to follow in the footsteps. Mm. And I don't know if you look back in hindsight and think, maybe I was a bit of a, a sort of, not an idol, but uh, a, a, a sort of role model mm. um, for the sort of sport. Because it's very rare that you get one or two older siblings doing a sport and the third one goes off and does some, something completely different. Yeah. Um, so I'd, do you ever look back and think, well, I might have been useful for them? Um, I've, I've Probably from their point of view, it's you know them seeing me doing something and i guess it's like that natural uh, the natural you know competitiveness that they want to do it better but then on, sure. you know i can flip that around now because i've got a we've got a younger brother kane who coming up they're like you know you've got in particularly for example the howard where you've got these three siblings who have gone off and you know like if if the howard had like a hall of fame for sport you've got three siblings that be on there because we all dominated in like lots of different sports yeah and then they hear that there's this fourth sibling coming in you're like this has got to be like you know this kid's skill level is going to be unreal because he comes from a house of judokas yeah. karate you know, like rugby uh, you know both both versions of rugby as well you know and like and a couple of other sports mixed in like he's going to dominate and he was an absolute like gamer you yeah. know he's like i guess it's where like we were getting traveled around and we were really into our sport and for kane it was almost that you know, you're in two mindsets. You either see that your siblings are doing well and you want to step up and try and be better than them. Whereas I guess for him, it's that, well, I don't want to do that. You know, and it's coming back and like, you know, someone's got a broken leg and you're seeing like their rehab they're going through or like, you know, there's other difficulties that you get through playing like, you know, competitive sport. And I guess for Kane, that was that was a turn off. So he's like, actually, do you know what? Me and his, his mates as well, they're all gamers. That probably helps. So I'd rather sit here playing my Xbox and and not have to take like the Fair physical enough. beating yeah yeah um I, I think things are changing definitely as a result of covid and lockdown i mean mm. i played on my playstation a lot um and it is it, it's still competitive but you're right you're not taking that physical beating yeah um i kind of wanted to actually ask you about your your transition kind of from rugby yeah so you did um you played rugby, like you said, you were playing it through college, mm. and then you have gone into a job 
around rugby. Yeah. What, so, what, what does the job involve? And do you think your passion for rugby kind of drove you towards wanting to do that? I think it, it did and it didn't. So I stopped playing rugby when I got to uni because in college was like my massive turn off. Right. So I was playing at the, you know, a really good level for a 16 to 18 year old. Sure. But there's a flip side of that in a team sport where the higher the level you play, the more egos you've, uh, you know, you meet and are your teammates. So I actually like through college, half my team I absolutely hated. And you know, there's stories of like, we'd be in the gym and I just got my black belt and one of the guys had like called me out and was like, it's a pajama sport and it's gone to grab me. And like, you grab a black belt in judo, their first instinct is just to flip you. And I flipped him and bruised his ribs and put him out for a month. And like the coach has only seen it and he's like, why did you grab him? You know, like, A, why are you taking the piss out of this guy? But then you know, you've actually put your hands on on a guy that knows what to, not uh, sorry, what to do. So it was sort of, for me, I, I, yeah, I was done with rugby at that point. I'm like, you know, turned off, turned away from playing, but then going to uni and doing sports coaching. And that's where like, you go back to, you know, playing video games for as long as I've played video games or FIFA, I was a career mode guy. I was never playing online against right. other people. I see, yeah. Because for me, it's like, you know, working with players and developing a team. That's something that like I was really into. Um, so doing sports coaching and then like having a, you know, I never wanted to be a rugby coach. Right. But week two at uni, Harlequins came in, gave a talk, the community sector did, and they were like, right, if anyone wants to trial uh, to be a coach as part of our community team, like we've got trials coming up, went to the trials. And out of like 20, 20 guys that turned up, there was two of us that got picked. And they were like, you know, I didn't have any coaching qualifications. They were like, we will pay and put you for all of them. Wow. And this was just at the end of the 2015 World Cup. So I rocked up for my first day and I'm actually doing it with like, you know, the guys on my course, the guys who just come back from the World Cup. Wow. I was the first guy out and I've got to coach them how to pass the ball. And I'm like, I've literally just paid to go to a stadium and watch you guys pass the ball. And yeah, now I've got yeah, a coach yeah. out to do it. Um, so that was a challenge, but really enjoyed it. Like where I wasn't enjoying the playing side anymore, but actually the coaching is, and that's something I still love. So I still coach like men's rugby now. Um, yeah, and I think it was that, you know, getting to work with guys where they've still got a love for the game, but also like, you know, they're very good players. And it's, well, I don't want to get the best out of me in rugby, but I want to get the best out of these guys. And how can yeah. I do it? And how can I work with them around yeah. doing it? Did you, so I've done a bit of coaching in some sports that I've done throughout the back end of being the kid that played sport mm. into even, even in the last year. I've always felt sometimes when I was um, being coached that sometimes I felt a little bit let down in hindsight yeah. by the coaching I didn't receive or the lack mm. of effort. And so do you ever get it with a player or a set of individuals where you don't want to let them down in the same way you were? Um, down in the same way that I was. Or you're you're giving them a level of coaching you wish you once received. Yeah, and the hundred. Uh, do you know what in rugby? Yeah, hundred percent. So like, you know, me and you in rugby, we've got a lot of coaches who have coached the both of us through secondary school. Yeah. And if I said one of them in particular was really bad, you could probably picture that guy straight away. Where like yeah. we'd rock up and his team talk is we beat this school three 0 in football and like I don't know. 29-37 in netball so really we should be beating this school and I'm like that's not a you're not telling yeah. me how to go out and beat them you're just telling me that on paper we're a better we're, school yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and funnily enough like it's part of my RFU level 2 
Um, I had to give an example of good coaching I've received and poor coaching. Right. And I'm sat there with these guys for therapy and I'm telling them this horrific example and they're like, you've made that up. And I'm like, I swear to God. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. if you really want, I can go and introduce you to this guy. Yeah. But yeah, it's that having, and I guess that's, you know, you look at it from a playing point of view. Yeah. Having good examples in your sport and having poor examples and being like, well, you know, what can I do to avoid, and whether it's, you know, in your own game, making a mistake the big question is what can I do to avoid doing that again? Yeah. If I'm doing something good, what can I do in order to turn that from a strength into like what I call a super strength? Yeah. Because there's that, you know, you need individuality even in a team sport. Yeah, you know, yeah. Everybody, I believe, gives something a little bit different to the next guy to make that team the best it possibly can be. Yeah. Um, and as a coach, you're trying to get that out of the guys. Um, and I guess initially, I think when you really start off early in your coach and it's looking at the bad examples, mm-hmm. but the deeper into it you get, it's well actually what do the what do the best do? But then not just copy and pasting that, it's well taking that, how does that adapt into my environment and then adding it in and putting your like your signature style onto it. Right, okay. See this is this is quite interesting for me and this is gonna lead nicely into kind of where you are now. Yeah. Because I um, ran into you about six months ago yeah. in the Nuffield gym. And um, first time I've seen you in ages. First of all, looked in great shape. I was aware, kind of seen on Facebook what you'd been up to. Mm. Um, and we had a little bit of chat, had, had a small chat um, about where you were and what you were doing. Do you want to run the people that are listening slash watching, kind of what you're up to now? Yeah, so um, at the minute... I'm prepping for my next bodybuilding competition. I am a week out, so I've literally, as of today, gone into what in bodybuilding you would refer to as either a hell week or a peak week. My last two weeks of this experience have definitely been hell weeks, but um, I'm hoping through like being, I guess, my own coach, I've put myself into a position where this week's going to be a lot easier than the last two have. Now, you've mentioned exactly what I was going to pick up on. Yeah. To my knowledge, mm. it's relatively uncommon for people that compete to the level that you're competing at coach themselves. Yeah. What's the reasoning behind it? So, I guess, you know, you, you boil it back down to when I was at uni and doing a lot of research around, and through personal experience, if you're a player and a coach tells you what to do, mm-hmm. and you go out there and you do that and you don't win, whose fault is it? It's not my fault as a player because you as a coach told me what to do. And also, you know, am I knowledge-wise or tactically-wise the best I can be? No. So, like, me as a rugby coach, my big thing, particularly my big push this season, is making making the the men I work with more intelligent around the game. Because the more intelligent, the better your rugby IQ is, the better a player you're going to be. You know, if you've got, and you see it, if you've got a good rugby brain, automatically you're a much better player than you are without a good rugby brain. Like you could have all the physical skills in the world, all the technical skills, but unless you've got the mental side to apply them and put them together. So I think for me, you know, and I mean, I've got a master's in sports coaching. So when it comes to like the scientific side of sport, I'd like to think I'm pretty well researched in it. But then through having a, a love for fitness as well, like I've gone out and I've researched into that as well mm-hmm. enough where I'm like, do I want to pay a guy, say a hundred pound a week to tell me something I already know? Or actually, do I want to be, you know, accountable enough to go out there, make mistakes, and I've certainly made a good few mistakes, but learn from them and be be better as a as a result. But then also, like, you boil it down to when I'm in the gym and someone comes to me for advice, I want to give them advice knowing that whatever I recommend, I've put myself through first. Mm-hmm. So I know firsthand 
if it works, if it doesn't work, because I don't want to be known as someone that gives out poor advice that then actually as a result could you know, have a negative impact on that person, whether it's physical, mental, or you know anything else. So have you um, always, so when you were doing rugby, I assume you were obviously going to the gym and training as part of the team thing. Did, did that form of training start you in the gym or did you start coaching yourself into the gym no. as well? So I was from 16 to 18, it was compulsory I went to the gym like right. and that'd be on a Friday and I'd go and do that and I might do a couple of gym sessions outside of that on my own and then like the moment I left college I was like I don't need to do this again so for about two years didn't go to the gym um, didn't really do any sport now I think about it it was just more like the coaching side and like, I was I was super busy at uni around like a lot of like work yeah. as well as uni work um, and then I was like oh you know, I quite fancy getting into the gym at maybe like 19, 20 and all I can remember is I had, you know, my old rugby program from when I was at college. I started doing that. And it was more like uh, strength-based, like six to eight reps. Um, and it's really weird. And I think this be like one of the big things for anyone that does listen to this is like, particularly when you're a guy, you start training and you do like, you know, you do more strength phase and it's the eating side. Because in my head, like, and from everything I'd seen on like social media and that, in order to be big, you've got to eat big. Yeah. So I would go and I, you know, you probably pack away like 4,000 calories a day, but then you're going into the gym and you're putting on like a kilo a week, but you're getting stronger. You're mm -hmm. going in there and your bench is like skyrocketing. Your squats are going through the roof. You're hitting all these PBs that like three, four months ago, you can only dream of. Um, and it got me to the point where going into lockdown, and again, I'd spent like a few years doing this like strength program and I was at 97 kilo. So I'm five foot eight. I don't think any five foot eight guy should be 97 kilo when you're natural like regardless of what right, sport you yeah. do because it's not healthy yeah yeah like you know naturally you can only put an x amount of muscle mm -hmm. um and i am for a five foot eight guy I, i'm pretty close to like naturally how much muscle you can pack onto your body yeah yeah and i'm at the minute you know i'm a week out from a comp and i'm 76 kilo yeah Big so difference well you're talking about a 21 kilo yeah. of difference where effectively <laughs> that's about 21 kilo of fat and yeah. i'm stronger now than i was when i was um 97 kilo yeah going into lockdown and i spent two weeks where it's like right gyms are closed but as your training habits change or maybe go non-existent the diet didn't yeah and then i sat there i'm like something's got to change so i was like right i can't do the the heavyweight stuff so I do more like a bodybuilding but when i say bodybuilding more like a higher rep mm -hmm. so you know it was like 15 to 20 reps because i had a home gym but you could only go up to about 70 kilo right. so for like a lot of my lifts that's that's not a lot um, and then I started doing right like I've got a lot of free time now so I started doing some cardio and I'll never forget the first time I went out for a run and I was like I'm going to run to Budgeons and back which is about two and a half kilometres there mm -hmm. I got half kilometre in and like thought I was going to die so I remember stopping in the woods and I was like right give me two minutes to get my breath back and then what I did was I jog and when I couldn't jog I'd walk and when I could jog again I'd jog and I got to Budgeons I did the same thing back by the end of the week I could jog to Budgeons and back by the end of like two weeks later, all of a sudden I'm going for like 10 kilometer runs, but enjoying it, you know, and you're like jogging the whole way. Um, and effectively in 15 weeks, I went from 97 kilo to 77 kilo. Wow. So that's like a 20 kilo drop. And what I found was when I dropped the weight, where I'd done all like the strength training for three or four years, like effectively what I've done is strip away the body fat and you've got a physique and you're like, I've never had abs. Like I've always been like a chubbier kid. And all of a sudden you strip it when you're seeing these abs, you're seeing these veins, and you're like, whoa, like, you know, as soon as the gym opens, I might try and 
do like a bodybuilding phase here and it's around that time like i really started you know what's this sport over here bodybuilding and for me it was seeing like a dorian yates who is a guy from england six-time mr olympia famous in the 90s and seeing his like method of like he wasn't a team guy like and it's that you know having just come out of rugby where i was put off because of the team element actually was very like you know intrinsic like mind center but mentally very strong so he, he was nicknamed the shadow because he'd take himself away for a year like no one would see him no one would hear from him and then he'd rock up at the next mr olympia and be like bigger and better than before whereas you got all the like these and i think that's the thing is you know i'm in a sport where there's a lot of arrogant people and a lot of people that like to like show off hmm. and i'm not you know i'm not really like that like on social media i might do like three or four posts a year and that's to an that's to announce I'm competing in a competition and then I might do like a progress pick at like halfway. But for me, there's like, there's a reason why I do that and we'll probably end up going into that a little bit later. But then, yeah, like got into the bodybuilding, did six months of bodybuilding training when the gyms reopened. And then to the UFE, which is the organization that I compete in, they had a, their European championships in London. Mm-hmm. So it's like I compete in it. Um, in my novice category for classic physique, I won. And then in the open category, I came second, which is what nice. qualified me for the world championship. So that was your year. first ever competition. Yeah. Wow. That's um, a very strong start. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing is like, it was actually finding a sport where I didn't have to work in a team or where like you're responsible for your results. Yeah. And I, I enjoyed that. And it's like knowing what I had to do differently, but then being able just to go off and almost like mastermind my plan. So like for anyone that does see me in the gym, the one thing I have for every single session is a black book and a pen. Right. Because I, I write in my sessions, like, and it's that there's a lot of science behind the stuff that I do, and it's all in them books. And I'll go back, I look through the books to, like, right, have I progressed? Or, you know, where might I be going wrong here? Yeah. Um, and I, I like that sort of, like, control, almost like control over your own destiny. Mm-hmm. I think um, I, I was always a bit, uh, not skeptical, I think I was a bit harsh. Mm. But when you told me that you were coaching yourself, I was like, do you know what? I, don't really understand this mm. you know, he's, he's got results mm. fair enough and you wanted to push to the next level and am i right in thinking you just missed out on your pro card yeah so that then brings us to my second competition so last november i went out to toronto competed in the world championships uh so i was on the elite stage um so you've got you've got your pro stage which is the best of the best in the world and you've got your elite stage which is all of the non-professionals mm-hmm. um and i finished fifth in classic physique and i was i think i was like point six of a point of getting my pro card um which when you've traveled like i don't know how many thousands of miles it is when yeah. you travel that far on your own like i'd never been outside of europe and there's like all of these barriers that you've like gone through to get there when you're that close but the weird thing was and the two like when i've come off stage you come off stage and straight away you're like i know exactly what i need to do now right and for this year i came off stage and i'm like i know what i need to do and then I go away, and I normally take a week off from the gym. But when I like for that whole week, what I'm thinking about is right: what am I changing my plan? What am I changing my diet? Everything for the next nine months, mm-hmm. so that when this next comes around, I know what I need to do to be not just a better version of me, but maybe like a different version depending on what mm-hmm. the judges want. Because that's the thing with bodybuilding: is it's not if I score X amount of points, I win. Mm-hmm. It is very much what the judges want. You know, it's a very um, subjective data as opposed to objective so i want to get into that because i'll be honest uh i think i said to you before we started but i've watched youtubers uh do some like enter a bodybuilding event mm. to get clicks and stuff like that but the general understanding of bodybuilding as a sport i feel like is very limited 
So there's different, a few things I want to go through is there's different classes. Yeah. And I want to go through how you get judged. Okay. So what are the different classes? Because you've changed class as well, you, you said. Yeah, so this is the first year where, I'm, I mean, I'm doing my class that I feel my physique matches the best, but then right. also want to trial a different class as well and mm-hmm. see if I can get success in that. So the three main classes in like male bodybuilding is you got men's physique, which is where you wear like your board shorts and that's really like extreme beach body. So legs don't get judged. It's just like super shredded, you know, super okay. conditioned. So you're talking like real good detail in the muscle, good separation between the muscles. Um, and you're not gonna be that big. You're just gonna be shredded. So if you could picture like someone on, a, you see someone on the beach and you're like, they're not the biggest guy, but God, that guy's ripped. Right, okay. So then you go into classic physique which actually no i'll go into open bodybuilding first sorry which is the polar opposite of that so that's when you're like you're jacked so you are the biggest look like a guy can physically or a woman can physically get um but again there's good separation good detailing but the emphasis is you know if you put men's physique bodybuilder next to an open bodybuilder there is a big size difference okay and you're talking like if you go down the enhanced route you know at mr olympia stage the open bodybuilders, some of them can be like 140 kilo on stage, but five foot eight in men's physique. Jesus. Again, at like the enhanced staged, some of the men's physique guys could be like maybe 90, yeah, like a 90 kilo on stage could be like a Mr. Olympia. So you're talking 50 kilo difference at like the same height. That's like one and a half times the size. But then what you've got to remember as well is like, you know, you go down the enhanced route, that's a 140 kilo guy who might be like 2% body fat, maybe less than that on yeah, stage. Yeah, yeah. And then you go into your third category, which is my one, that's classic physique. You get them two bodybuilders, you meet them in the middle. So you've got a guy who is, you know, he's got a good amount of muscle size in him, shredded. I think my key word for classic physique is, well, my key words would be aesthetic. So you've got to look good. You've got, there's got to be good symmetry, a good V taper, but then it's old school. So, you know, you look at like the enhanced route, bodybuilders now, they are very like very big, very blocky. A lot of the physiques, when you compare them to like the 70s and the 80s, mainly the 70s is quite ugly. You know, the 70s, your Arnie era, Danny Padilla, um, Frank Zanes, they are, they look good. Like you look at the body and it's like the kind of body you're like, I'd want to have that. Whereas you look at say like a, a big Rami who competes today and you're like, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to look like that. It doesn't look healthy. Mm-hmm. So that's where like you meet in the middle, that's a healthy look. I think that's the same with, you know, in natural bodybuilding, you've always had the open bodybuilding and then recently they've branched out into men's physique and classic only i mean in in enhanced i think it was only in 2016 that they created classic physique oh wow um, okay. and that's where you've had like sort of in your second year a guy called chris bumpstead comes in who <laughs> yeah. is the definition just of, a guy <laughs> well yeah he is the definition of a, a classic physique but taking it to like you know i genuinely believe that we run cl- classic physique for another 20 30 years at enhanced level you will never get a guy that will look as good as he like can push the boundaries of being as big as he can be but still keeping the aesthetics yeah yeah um and then like on the natural side it's that you know it's funny because i had my um my like induction yesterday or like your athlete intro ahead of next sunday right and i'm seeing like more the italian team who are competing against me and some of their guys are like known for like say like number two or number one in the world for open bodybuilding and he like he's got a real like hardcore. When I say hardcore, he's like he looks massive in a photo. I stand next to him; he's five foot four. 
Oh, so it's just like a complete. Yeah, it's of, that. Yeah. And again, like that's where, like, when you look at them, like the natural guys, you're like, Jesus, this guy looks massive, and you stand next to him, and you're like, for me, like, you know, I'm I'm a very big guy mm-hmm. in like in natural bodybuilding on the stage, because like a lot of the guys are like the hardcore bodybuilders, like five four, five five, mm-hmm. or they're like say six one, six two, super shredded, but you know they weigh the same as me but when you got like three four five inches on me obviously you don't look as big right yeah yeah, yeah. um so it's that and it's weird like sort of that five eight five nine is like a real ideal height for this specific sport and even in the enhanced side you know you look at all of the mr olympias in open bodybuilding like ronnie coleman's a great example on stage was 134 kilo he got up to 0.5 percent body fat so again this is less than one percent and if you stood next to me, we'd be the same height. Yeah. So like you, you look at these Looks guys. Like a giant. You think they're giants yeah. in photos or videos. When you put them next to like the average person, yeah, they look massive, but not height-wise. Yeah. We're actually like bodybuilders are quite small people. I guess, do you know what? Part of that might be the photography because I feel like the photos are always looking up at the stage. Mm. So it looks like this giant person towering over you. Yeah. And actually, yeah, you get in a room with them and, and you stood next to them in the same height. Yeah. Um. So kind of want to get into you know how you train and the sort of things you do Mm. so with the uh different physiques Mm. attached to what the judges want yeah uh how do you train for those specific things so i funnily enough i train and like you know trained with or i speak with a lot of other bodybuilders and my training style is very different to them okay so like traditional bodybuilding training you might go for like say 10 to 15 reps and it's you're like you're good at a pump in a session but you are more like pure hypertrophy training so you want to try and get that you know that muscle after a few months of training to to look big and get some nice detail now i go more into i have a real emphasis on the strength side similar to dorian yates because you know if you put the strength element in with the hypertrophy you get so there's a word called dense and you get yeah. a dense look and what i mean by that is you know you get and you might sit with some bodybuilders where you'll see them and like we'll use the deltoids or the shoulder muscles a great example hypertrophy training and it makes that shoulder you know that delt look really big like a balloon but the issue is with that balloon you stick a pen in it and you look like you know you sit with a lot of bodybuilders if i put a pin into your shoulder it looks like it will pop whereas if you've got a dense shoulder it's big but it looks solid so you're like, if i go and stick a pin into that my pin's gonna break okay and that is the look i go for so i go for a look where you know you've got a real like you've got symmetry you've got great detail you know everything is in proportions but you look you look like someone that could lift big right and in order to look like someone that could lift big you've got to lift big and i don't mean like compared to other people but i mean you've got to push your, yourself yeah. to like your if it's my six to eight rep max like physically what is my six to eight rep max okay pushing yourself to your limits um, and again, I think that links into then, like when I stand on stage, like, you know, sometimes I've been on a stage, I've been, I've looked the best, like from a bodybuilding point of view, but, and sometimes I haven't, but I've always looked like I can lift the most. I've okay. always been like the densest look on mm-hmm. the stage. Um, and then I think from that, it's, you know, you've got the genetic side of it as well, where like, you know, I can think of one guy in particular, don't compete with him. He, he's a pro in a different organization, but he is a very, he's a, like the polar opposite physique to me okay. we did some like posing practice uh, a couple of weeks back and he's what i call like a power physique okay so he's like a quite like squatty like the muscles are big but he's not got the aesthetics so like he explodes into every movement when he 
performance is posing, but it's very like a very hardcore look. Whereas again, for me as like a classic physique guy, it's more of like a dance. Like you move in and everything looks good because you're opening up the muscle, you're showing off the detail. Um, and I guess that's why he competes in open and I compete in classic mm -hmm. because it's that, you know, we've all got very different physiques, whether you train in the gym, whether you don't. Um, your genetics will not hinder you, but it will sort of cap you off to having a different physique. Right. And it's having the categories so that, you know, so like you look at me and you, Angus, you're, you're six foot four? Six, yeah, six four, six five ish. Six four, six four and a half. Yeah. And there's me that's <laughs> five eight. So, like, if we're both, uh, you know, let's say we both got 70 kilo of muscle on us. Yeah. And we're both at like 6% body fat, we're going to have two completely different, very, physiques, very different physiques because yeah. of our genetics. Yeah. And it's having categories. So, it's like, you know, um, for you, you'd probably be more of like a, a men's physique guy. Because, again, like, you've got a good, um, like, you, you know, you'd have a great, like, you'd have a good shredded body have great detailing there but there wouldn't as much be say like the muscle like the, the size of the muscle yeah. on the bone yeah whereas if you've got a five foot four guy and again he's got like them same he's the flip he'd be open bodybuilding because actually you could pack a load of muscle into a shorter frame and you look explosive you know you you look very like hardcore mm -hmm. with that training wise then yeah push pull legs nice and simple um, go, go three times a week what no. is it what's the how how do you train so and again like over the last three years i've been doing this i think every year has been either a, a little bit different or very different so me this year compared to my first year of prep so we go back two years ago now very very different training programs so this year my big emphasis was don't physically burn out but also you know i went away and i was looking at like the literature and i'm thinking right so in order to like create muscle synthesis in in the body or in the muscle for as long as possible so you're sending that that signal to the muscle of grow 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 across the whole week really you've got to be training that muscle minimum two times a week so i do that but then what i i guess what i've done is um i so initially i say started off the year where i would go and i would do five full body days a week but what i do is i would only train three sets per muscle group a day but i would put it out so that let's say on day one i'd go and i'd do a compound for my chest or i might go and do like a bench press and that'd be like a six to eight rep if i'm looking to pack on the muscle if i'm you know if i'm in a, a calorie surplus but then on my day two where i've done like a compound on my chest on day one three sets of bench day two would be more of like an isolation exercise so that's where it's a lower intensity and i'm just focusing on the chest muscle itself as mm -hmm. opposed to like you're doing bench press you're looking at the chest mainly but you're bringing in a bit of shoulder and a bit of arms so then on day two i might do a pec fly so again isolating out the chest muscle it's not going to be as much wear and tear on that muscle fiber but the weird thing i found with that is a combination of doing like l smaller muscle tears on the muscle but over like higher frequency throughout the week and you combine that with making sure you're actually hitting your protein goal. And I'm not saying like 100 grams of protein, like genuinely working out and the way you do it, like your weight in pounds is the amount of grams of protein you want to really want to hit. So for me in the off season, I'm looking at like 180 grams of protein a day. You hit that and you combine, you know, like them two to make that equation. And I'd go in every week for progressive overload and you are, you, you're hitting PBs every week. Because over that 24 hour, you know, you're giving that body 24 hours of that muscle to repair. 
I mean, obviously, you know, once that muscle repairs, that's when you get the growth. So it's low enough intensity that you're giving the body like it's a smaller tear so it can actually repair quicker, but then you're also getting that growth quicker. Mm-hmm. Now I did that and I'll be honest with you, like for five, six months that felt amazing and it was great. But then the issue is, and what I find is I will do, you know, like, like you're training five gym days a week, that's fairly intense for anybody. And I wouldn't recommend it unless you are competing in a sport and more bodybuilding. Like if you're if you're a rugby player, I'm not gonna tell you to do that. If you're a body if you're a bodybuilder or you've not got much else in your life, I'd be like, yeah, go and do that. Um, but I got burnout about eight weeks in. And I don't know, like for those that are listening, if you've ever had burnout, it's it's such a weird thing. Cause I remember like for me, I felt like, I felt like I needed, like my body was telling me I need a week off. And I went into the gym and I was like, I'll do one more session. And it was like, I was picking up, well, I was trying to pick up weights or like do reps that the week before I was doing easy. And I just couldn't physically do it. So then that's when the key thing here is listen to your body. So for me, it's like every seven to eight weeks, my body will will tell me and it's, I know it sounds weird, but like when your body's telling you, you know your body's telling you. Is it, is it more of a physical or is it a mental thing? So, you, you're both. In the, so you're in the gym and you're kind of checked out or you physically just can't do it or is it like you're, you're thinking, so there's, I can't really There's the physical, you feel banged up and there's the mental, I don't want to go to the gym today. Yeah. Like mentally, you don't want to go and it's weird because like every session, I can't wait to do it. So what I do is I, I just take a week off. Now my version of a week off, or you know, some people might call it a deload week, is for a week I will not touch away. I won't pick up a dumbbell. Oh wow! Some okay. people might do, you know, I'll go down say like a twenty rep max, or I'll train at sixty percent of, you know, um, perceived exertion. So for me, I won't pick up weight. But I tell you what, every time I've ever done that, I will go in there on my first session back a week later. The first thing I notice is, bloody hell, I'm stronger than I was before. Like, and it, you know, it's the key principle of with that kind of training where you're doing five full body days a week, you're almost like building up, I, I call it building up data into the muscle where it's like, right, we know that, you know, when we do get an opportunity to fully recover and fully grow, we're going to be able to do this, that, and the other. And it's like builds up, builds up, builds up. And again, you do see success while you're training, but you only really see the full success once on that like week eight, taking the week off. And then when you go back into the gym a week later and you're fully recovered, You've, you know, you've, you've fully got the progress that you should have. That's when you're like, okay, like this is it. And the weird thing as well is your physique. So like I tend to tie in my week off with a holiday. And actually the further into the holiday I'm getting, the better I'm looking, you know? And it's it's such a weird thing, but it, it's, and it's that trust in your process. So for me as being my own coach, I've gone out and I've, you know, researched all of this data around so many different principles of training or diet. So I know that this is what the literature tells me. Mm-hmm. So if all the literature tells me A, and all of a sudden I start half chance, oh, what if B is actually the answer? Well, then I'm not sticking to my process that I've gone out and I've spent months planning. Mm-hmm. So it's that even when you start to doubt yourself, oh, maybe B is the answer here. Nope, stick to A, because every time I've done it, like in the long term, it's always been the right thing to do. Okay. Um, whereas like then to fully answer your question, at the moment, I'm just, you know, where I'm in a, a cut phase, I'm not going to be able to do five days a week and still push like progressive overload. Or for me, it's not about putting on muscle, it's maintaining muscle. So at the moment, I am down to four gym days a week. Is it four? Yeah, four gym days a week. And I go, let me get this right. So I will do three body parts a day. So day one is, yeah, so day one would be um, chest. 
been doing it for I don't know how many months now. <laughs> I can't think of it. Uh, but yeah, it'd be like three upper body muscles. Day two would be three lower body muscles. And then I do like a legs day. And then something. Oh, no, I might. But yeah, it works out. I think at the minute it's more just training every body part. No, yeah, it is twice a week. Yeah, twice a week on upper body, sorry. And then one day a week on. No. I'm completely wrong. My bad, sorry. Um, at the moment, <laughs> four training days a week. Right. I do one upper body day, one lower body day, one upper body day, one lower body day. Okay, right, yeah. Um, and it's, but again, it's that, you know, when I do, say, if on day one of upper body, mm-hmm. I might do my shoulder compound. Right. I'm not going to do, sorry, I do my chest compound. I'm not going to do my shoulder compound on that day because then it will be on my day three, which is my second upper body day. That's when I do my shoulder compounds. That's when I'm looking at blasting out my shoulders. And actually, chest day is more of a isolating that muscle and trying to get a little bit more hypertrophy training in there. Okay. Um, and the same with like your two leg days. I'll have a quad dominant day and a hamstring dominant mm-hmm. day, because for anyone that's ever like tried to max out squats and like say a squat and a deadlift on the same day, you probably normally start with your squat uh, your squat first. By the time you get to your deadlift, like you know, realistically, you're not going to hit your say you're going for an eight rep max. I've just done my eight rep max for three sets on squat. Yeah, no I'm not chance. actually going to hit my eight rep max for no deadlift. Chance. And you're going to burn out your, you know, your CNS, your central nervous system. So, and this is the, you know, burnout is burning out your central nervous system over time, so that the the mental and the physical is fried to the point the mental and both the physical need some time off. Um, and at the minute, the one thing I've brought in as well is a lot more cardio. So mm. I will do cardio every day. Okay. Which is like the antibody building. But actually, for me, there's firstly want to be like a physically fit human, and also for me, when I'm cutting, if I go out and do some cardio. It, it, it allows me to hit my say weight loss goal or not my weight loss goal my fat loss goal mm-hmm. for that week because that's yeah. the other key thing and this is taking it away from bodybuilding now and looking into like general life you know how many people have you had that have said to you my goal is to lose weight yeah of course never so, anyone's goal your goal is to drop body fat yeah and it's that. So that everyone's looking for the one weird old tip to be shredded and yeah. not go through it and i think one of the the biggest things obviously uh is yeah being active keeping to a routine is the big difference a lot of the time in people's lives but mm. away from training it's the nutrition yeah and nutrition is a huge bit of it how how does how does your nutrition change in like prep and supplements and stuff like that what do you so i guess well firstly we'll go over the supplements so i don't take anything not protein not creatine um well he's like for me and again it goes back to me looking to the literature protein is best absorbed in the body through meat yeah. You know, it's we are trained to like over thousands of years. Our protein sources have always been through meat. So for me, you know, I will have half a kilo of chicken breast every day. That's 155 grams of protein. Now my goal is 180. So then by the time I get all my my carbs and that as well, I'm actually gonna get an, like a little, a small amount of protein, but enough to tip me over the 180. Mm-hmm. Um, I might occasionally do like a, a pre workout, but then caffeine. You know, you go up in the morning, you have a a cup of coffee. Well, that's um that's a supplement but on the flip side of that i'm not doing it for sports performance i'm yeah. doing it because i need it like, so mentally I can, so i can do off. my job <laughs> yeah effect, yeah pretty much um but i might you know if i'm training early in the day so it could be like a weekend sorry about that if it's on the weekend i might um have a pre-workout as like a treat because i might you know if i'm going to go for like a heavy lift or whatever gets you that little bit of buzz to like push you through mm-hmm. but yeah Apart from that, like that might be say twice a month, I'll have a pre-workout. Okay. Protein powder, I have it at home. 
I will avoid taking it. Really? Um, and then, I mean, like your creatine, I don't take. Um, and that's more for like, particularly when I'm cutting, I would say to people like, and you know, I've, I've done it in the past where there's a guy where I, I told him like, you should be taking creatine, uh, creatine when you're cutting. And he got his pro card in his next comp. And then when I spoke to him about it, he was like, that's actually a really useful tip. Thank you for that. Cause he kept his strength. And I guess that, you know, in some kind of way, he thought it helped him to keep that little bit of muscle mass that when he went onto the stage mm. and, you know, he won it by a fine margin, but it's the, all the small things at the elite level that build up to make a big impact. Um, but for me, like when I'm, particularly when I'm cutting weight, cause with creatine, you put in a little bit of water weight. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know numbers wise if I've actually lost the body fat I need to lose. Oh, I see. Um, so yeah, that and it's, so there's 70% of the population creatine works for, mm -hmm. 30% it doesn't. And I'm pretty oh, wow. sure I'm in the 30%. Oh, wow. Cause I've, you know, I've taken creatine in the past and I haven't really seen any results that, you know, more when I'm bulking that just the normal bulk without creatine I get fair, fairly similar results okay amino acids I wouldn't suggest taking because if you're getting meat into your you know in, into your your daily diet you're getting amino acids mm -hmm. um I'm thinking oh yeah I think that's it so sort of key thing there is I don't take supplements personally a lot of bodybuilders I train with or I know they will take a whole list of supplements mm -hmm. I think the only thing I would suggest um is multivits like vitamins and then particularly when you're cutting like your testosterone is going to drop massively um if you're doing it over a long enough time so like zinc and magnesium but again that's to get like a small small notice which for the average person you wouldn't notice but for me if i've been like cutting for nine months it's that little like micro thing where it's like a five percent but i will pick up on the five percent you feel a little bit better in yourself yeah and then with the diet, I will try and stay consistent throughout the year. Because again, like everybody's body is different. And when you eat different foods or you drink, you know, different drinks, your body reacts differently. The key, you know, a class example is like milk. Some of us can drink milk. Some of us can't drink milk, you know, <laughs> and it's just the way our body's designed. So for me, my main carbs are rice and oats. Mm -hmm. And year round, whether I'm in bulk, I'm in a cart or in between, my main carbs are going to be rice and oats. Have a little bit of veg i'm not the biggest fan of it but again you know depending on what point in the year it is i might be taking a multivit if i'm taking a multivit then do i need veg mm -hmm. i would recommend taking veg but for me personally it's that you know it's one less thing i've got to stick into my fitness pal in terms of um obviously calories and stuff i think whenever i've done i've obviously not not competed or anything like that but when i've tried to cut down for summer and mm. look slightly better i i've just used veg because it's so low calorie to bulk yeah. out a meal um kind of calorie wise what are you hitting and and are you using anything to kind of make sure you feel full <laughs> um yeah so i guess if we go with that so when i'm cutting it's normally anywhere from two to two and a half thousand calories mm -hmm. a day um and the reason why i say because you know, that 500 calories can be a big difference i'm yeah. a very like high active person well, so you we, said you're doing cardio every day as well at the minute. So yeah. you, need to, you do need to fuel that as well as your existence. Exactly. So you go back to like this Thursday, Friday, just gone, I burnt 4,000 calories on two separate days. Mm -hmm. So actually on them days, if I burnt 4,000 calories, well, I'm going to eat 3,000 calories. Mm -hmm. But I'm still a 1,000 calorie different. I'm still working towards my goal. But then it's that, you know, and that links into the second half of your question there about, you know, what you do to feel full. For me, it's not as much feeling full as it is mentally full and what i mean by that is giving my body stuff it wants mm -hmm. so like when i cut and i don't know why like if i am well fed or i'm in a bulk 
put a bit of gingerbread on the table doesn't bother me but every time i cut and i get a couple of months into a cut i see a bit of gingerbread and i like so, <laughs> I, so specific. I did a leg day before I, I did my last or my depletion leg day before i came here yeah i went to nuffield leatherhead and i've got to walk past waitrose to get to the cart and there's a certain kind of gingerbread they do in there with this icing <laughs> and i've gone in there to have it and it's that but fermentally for me now for the rest of the day i'm you know, I could not it's eat the rest to, of the it's day. It's ticked a box. But it's that issue, like your sugar craving, you know, and everyone's okay. different, whether it's chocolate, gingerbread, or something else. And I think a lot of people, and it's weird, like it's more the people that aren't bodybuilders, like, you know, your average, your everyday person, they think if I've got to lose weight, I've got to be miserable and not enjoy it. So this is where like, for me, and again, going out and doing my own research, I am very much of the way where when I'm cutting, I will give myself every day a little, you know, I'll have like a two, 300 calorie buffer, well, I, I store that away and at the end of the day that two three hundred calories i get to have something i really like mm-hmm. like i'm not and you get some guys where they're like oh i cut for 12 weeks and i'm not going to touch anything nice like firstly that's boring mm-hmm. secondly if i did that i know i'm going to go insane after like a week or two weeks so it doesn't work for me doesn't fit into me as a person and knowing my own body both mentally and physically mm-hmm. um i think that's the key thing is because you get a lot and i think that's what puts off the average person is they do a week, two weeks of taking out the stuff they love eating, and then that's why no one actually hits their fat loss goal. Right, Because yeah. you're like, do you know what? I'd actually rather eat the foods that I like eating and not cut the body fat. Mm-hmm. And then you get into that nasty habit of like reverse dieting. So you get two yeah. weeks of really good progress and you pack it all back on. Yeah. Where it's like actually have a healthy, active lifestyle where you're doing something physical every day, something you enjoy. Mm-hmm. If you don't enjoy it, don't do it making sure you're eating the foods you enjoy every day, but doing it in moderation. You know, it's like, for me, I enjoy a little bit of chocolate. So I'll have a chocolate bar in the fridge and I'll break off four squares and I'll have that at the end of my day. And that's my, if I've ticked all my boxes, well done. You have your four squares. And you know what? It fits into my like diet plan or calorie plan for that day. Okay. Um, I think that's really important because anytime, when I was younger and I was um, sort of discovering fitness, trying to lose a bit of weight, mm. I, you know you see a lot online and you just think i'm just gonna go hardcore because yeah. why would you not and you're right it sucks mm. and then you get to kind of a point where you feel comfortable and so for some people they'll say oh, i'm going on a two-week diet mm. and so they get to the end of the two weeks and you're right they refeed they go and have the things they were craving while they're gone for me it was always i'm going to keep doing this until i feel like i look right yeah and so i get to this point of looking right and i'm like nice mm. and then i just sort of gradually slip off it mm. and then i start thinking well why did I stop? Why did I not just make a, a permanent change? And then that's kind of what I've focused more is becoming a bit more of an adult and being a bit more responsible yeah. is making a, a change that is, I can keep permanent. So it's interesting you say that. So the last three months of my cut and my thing was right. Once I've stopped, you know, cutting, what do I want my tra- What do I want my life to be like post this competition, post November, if I get there, and I sat down and I wrote down these key things. I was like, okay, for the next three months, I'm going to do that now. So my last three months of training, I'm doing the cardio every day because that's something I want to do post, you know, getting ready for a bodybuilding competition. I'm eating a higher amount of calories than what I have done for say like the previous six months before that because I want to be doing that. But the activity level is still high. I'm eating the foods, and really for me, it's it's adjusting my body now so that when I stop competing, there's not the shock. And what I mean by that is, and it goes back to yo-yo dieting. Every bodybuilder I've ever spoken to, particularly after your first competition, it is um, you get an eating disorder. And I had it. My first, you know, and I ate clean for 
six, maybe seven months where I, you know, all the foods I love and I took them out and it like sends you insane. And then all of a sudden you go from that, you stop competing, you go into your off season, so you can put on weight and someone puts food on the table. You don't have to say no anymore. So instead of saying right. no, it's not having say one cake, you have the whole pack until nothing's there. And we all like it for that first comp. And then what you do is do enough comp where you either stop competing or you do enough comps where you train your body. And for me, I think the key thing to stop me from going into that in a couple of months time is by acclimatizing now. And you know, you look at it really in any sport, you you look, you know, a key part of performance or a key part of success, whether it's on the pitch or off it, is acclimatizing to your environment. Mm -hmm. And it's thinking about the environment I'm in now, the environment I want to be in in a you know, in a couple of months and making sure that I'm comfortable to move into that. Right. Because okay. as much as I want to be successful in this competition, I also want to be successful in life post competition. And what that looks like for me is maintaining my physical health. And if I maintain my physical health, I'm a big believer that'll help me maintain my mental health as well. With that, do you ever find it sometimes works the reverse? In terms of if you have a physical slip, um, an injury, or training's just not going quite right, do you find it negatively affects you mentally? So the weird thing is I've never like, I've never broken a bone, I've never torn a muscle. Don't say that, because the last time <laughs> I said that, I did it the same day. So I'm gonna I'm literally gonna touch wood for you. <laughs> Thank that you. That scares me. Um yeah, like I've never had like a, a serious injury, but I think it goes into like my training style. You know, my training style emphasizes recovery. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going in there and doing some massive chest session or there's certain exercises I won't do because actually there's a high risk of injury there. Um okay. but I think where that does come in is more when you're doing the weight gain. And it is the maddest thing because like and I get it every time where I put in a little bit of weight and I'm panicking. And I'm, you know, I say I've put on a kilo. And then I'm like, oh my God, like I'm fat, I'm fat. And I'm stood there with a six pack. You're still like below 10% body fat. But in your head, you are, you're the one thing you don't want to be. Because you've spent, and that's things like, you know, a lot of us bodybuilders, we, we tend to spend more time cutting than we do bulking. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to go into that phase. Or I'll be like, you know, when I'm at the peak of my bulk, so I'm at 85 kilo. And I'm in the gym and I'm like, I look fat. But then I'm actually like, and it's that for me, it's having what I call honest conversations with myself. Okay. So you, and not in an arrogant way, but you look around the gym and you're like, well, I'm still in the best shape in it. And it's not like looking down at people, it's actually being honest where I'm 85 kilo, I'm actually still at like a low body fat percentage for you know the average person. So I might be like 15%, I'm healthy, I'm the strongest that I, you know, I'm the strongest version of me, I'm happier because I'm getting to go out and do these social activities that you don't for six to seven months of the year. And like, yeah, like the abs aren't there or they're not as on show, but then it's remembering actually when I've got that six pack and you're shredded, super miserable. Yeah. You know, and you are, and there's like, there's lots of other things, whether it's like chemical imbalances that come into play or you're constantly tired and those are things where like it affects certain parts of your life. So like when you have a partner, you know, I'm very lucky with my partner, she's super supportive. But it's at the same time seeing that where I've got strains on myself, there's also at times there's like strains on her because I mean, in any sport, when you're trying to compete or you're competing at the highest level, there is that selfish element. And I don't, you know, I'm, I am self-aware enough that I don't want to do things like selfish things that would take away from the people that I love. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's a, a really good thing. And I think one of the um, big signs of maturity in being an athlete, but also as someone that's probably coached quite a few athletes, is that you you do take a step back. Mm. And I think a lot of people do get so caught up in physical appearance um, and physical performance 
they don't take a step back and it's uh, you said it sounds very um i think um it doesn't sound modest to say you know i'm looking around the gym and you know i'm still in the best shape here mm. but it's factual and i think that a lot of the time um particularly in moments where i've had low confidence or i've been overcritical of myself mm. i have started to learn to be mature and actually giving yourself a bit of credit mm. you have to do sometimes and you have to appreciate where you are mm. how you've got there and how far you've come to be giving yourself the same criticism you were back in the older days mm. where you weren't in that shape and i generally feel like people are very very hard on themselves in mm. fitness and being able to take a step back and saying do you know what actually you're not in awful shape yeah you're you're, you're fine you're actually a lot happier than you were like you said you're a lot happier when you're not absolutely shredded to mm. hell um is a very very positive approach and way of dealing with things yeah um but i'm interested as well if um this is, this is a, gonna be a bit of one of those like interview questions right um if if you woke up tomorrow morning mm. and you were like you went downstairs and you said oh, i'm just gonna pop out to the gym mm. and i was like to the where to the gym mm. what, what's who's gym Jim mm. doesn't exist right no one's invented the equipment you mm. don't have the means of making the equipment mm. what do you do is that is that a closed chapter is that then done I'll go do something else or is it like oh my god I, I need to get my fix of something yeah, yeah like I think I need for me it's that you know the gym for me is a mental clearance so okay. regardless of what I'm training for first and foremost I will have like a mental build up in the week or in the day. So for me going to the gym and being able to have firstly time in my own head where I can reflect on the day or you know think about either what I've got coming up or what's happened in the past and just clearing like clearing out everything, having these thoughts. So when I come out of the gym, physically feel better, mentally feel better, but also my life game plan is a bit more in check. Mm -hmm. So if that's not the gym, um, I would still keep up cardio because mm -hmm. I, you know, I quite enjoy running. Yeah. Or I quite enjoy going on a step machine. But if there's no gym, there's probably no step machine. So it'd be out running. And like for me and you, we're very fortunate that we live in like a place of great natural beauty. So actually, over lockdown, being able to like run through these like amazing like places of amazing scenery, mm -hmm. you know, that's that's another benefit. Um, I I would probably go into like mixed martial arts, something like that. Okay. I, yeah. I still enjoy like in a weird way I like, I enjoy the Nawaz and Nawaz is like fighting on the floor mm -hmm. it's that feeling of like when you just got you and you've got like another person who is you, you know almost like you're, you're equal and you're just going at it mm -hmm. you know like you're trying to get each other into submissions or trying to you know beat the other person in whatever way and I quite enjoy that but again it, it goes back to that like you know I come from like my, my last name's War you know yeah I think you're naturally going to have like certain <laughs> characteristics and then you look at my family and they all have them, you know, we are a competitive household. So it, it's interesting. Like I went for, had some lunch with my parents the other day and my partner and my dad's like, you know, what's your next fix going to be when you're done with bodybuilding? Mm -hmm. And he, he's certain I'm going to go into something else. And I'm like, actually, you know what? I think I'm quite, I'm quite happy that when I close this chapter, that's the competitive side of me done in sport. Okay. And I want to prioritize like my family and my partner and i want to prioritize my work again because mm -hmm. i've done that in the past and like you know the i think the, the sports side i'm happy with but then being able to prioritize them too because they fit into your long-term plan if you know yeah, when yeah. you have a family firstly 
being with an amazing partner where you feel like you can you know you want to start a family together mm-hmm. and I, I've you know I've got that in my partner and then I think progressing enough in work that when you do have that family you're in a safe enough environment where you know you're you've got good career progressions and financially you're able to put your future kids into a stable environment where yeah. they can then go off and they you know they can do all these sports because the parents can afford to put them into different sports mm-hmm. or you know travel the the UK to compete because yeah. um, it's something you know I you know, my family weren't well off but my pet the one thing my parents always did was they always made sure that we that there was money in the car um yeah there was fuel in the car so that it could take us to fight in Sheffield or take us to play against you know, have a big rugby match in wherever it was yeah um you know that's one thing that I'm very thankful my parents for and I'd want to give to my kids mm-hmm. I, I want to link back to when you were younger and you were a kid um mm. and we'll slowly bring this round because there's only a few more questions I've, I've got for you and there's going to be some some interesting ones mm. um do you still have uh, you mentioned that you had dyspraxia you mm. were diagnosed with dyspraxia do you, does that still affect you today um not as much in i think up until recently the way it was most noticeable was in my speech okay because like a telltale sign it's like you slow your words a lot and that was something well, like particularly as a coach as well i was really aware that you know i'm talking try not to talk a lot as a coach but you're like you're slurring your words um, okay. and i think it's it's only sort of nothing it's only like the last year where we've become like hyper aware of that and that's like the last thing and it's being a lot more thoughtful before i speak so that when i do speak it's clear it's concise okay. they understand but also there's that like tap on the wrist from yourself when you're you know you like mumble off a load of words mm-hmm. um i think it was weird like i go back to college but i think one of the reasons why i hated a lot of the guys that i trained and played with was because you know my handling skills weren't the best and they used to take the piss out of me a lot for that and it's that you know the reason why my handling skills weren't the best is because from the ball going there to my hands it's actually like a massive challenge in being able to mentally process that ball coming to me and being able to process my hands being in the right position to Mm -hmm. catch the ball like you know for pretty much my whole sporting career in rugby that was a real challenge for me. Okay. Whereas for like a lot of the guys that I played with, that was, you know, that was second nature. Yeah. So, well, we, it, we, we all said that in, um, when I played American football, hmm. it was very obvious when someone turned up and was like, oh, I want to play receiver. Like you, you've got to be good at catching. And yeah. it's, it's one of those things where someone will turn up and be like, oh, can you coach me to be a receiver? And, I can, and it's one of those where it's like, I'll do my best. Yeah. But there is a certain level of natural ability that some people have and some people don't. And yes, you can practice, but the people that have got the natural ability to catch and have got good hand-eye coordination, unfortunately, will usually always have that. I think it's the beauty of sport is, you know, there's different kinds of athletes. So you've yeah. got the athlete who, doesn't matter what ball sport they do, they're going to be good at it, and that's my brother Charlie. Whereas you've got me, or actually, I've not got the, like, the technical skills for a ball sport, mm-hmm. but actually what I'm designed for is something that's either strength-based or something that is physicality-based. Mm-hmm. And you know, like I'm not the biggest of guys, but you put me up against someone who is of an equal size to me or of an equal weight. Yeah. And actually, you know, I I'm a lot stronger than, you know, a lot of people. Like when I was doing judo, I was always naturally a lot stronger than mm. the other guys that were my weight. Um, and it's that you know having different kinds of athletes for different sports. So again, like if you're, a, you know, you look at swimmers, they're not, you know, they're not good at swimming because they practice swimming actually for a lot of them the reason why they've gone into swimming is because they're built to excel in the demands yeah, of that yeah. sport so it's that yeah. really as a as a person 
right, you know, looking at my physical makeup, my genetic makeup, what sports are built for me mm-hmm. to be good in as opposed to just picking a sport and it's actually probably not that good at the sport. In um, the case of your sports and you've gone through, there's obviously quite a lot of contact base. The other question that I was going to ask from your childhood and what you mentioned, mm. do you find that you're still very testosterone fueled and there's a lot of aggression in everything you do? Polar opposite at the moment. Really? That's with the cutting. So oh, I, of course. I yeah, mean, so I've had like my blood work done a couple of months ago and yeah. I've, you know, I've got like very low testosterone levels for the average okay. male my age. And it's weird because like at work, I'm at this point at the minute where everyone's a little bit terrified of me. Not because I'm like this testosterone fueled guy, but quite the opposite. Where like I've, I've not got the patience, and it's the little things I pick up all of a sudden. It's not a burst of anger, as much as a burst of frustration. Where you're like, just leave me alone. Mm-hmm. And it comes across in one way when actually it's meant in a very, a very different way. Like I'm okay. constantly tired. You just like you want to be sat on your own. You know, like went out for dinner last night, like a, a couple's thing. And I didn't really speak a lot. Mm-hmm. It's not because I'm not interested in them. You know, interested in the conversation. It's just I don't physically have the energy I see. to particularly after like a long day where I've done two hours of gym work I've then gone and coached a you know a rugby match and then from there I, you know ha- having got up early in the day to there I'm like I just don't have the physical or mm-hmm. mental energy to be a big part of this uh, yeah you don't have the battery let alone the social battery yeah for it and then people can oh he's moody or he's like quite an angry guy and it's like I'm genuinely not and that's where like you know, and all my work colleagues notice it. Then when I'm in a bulk or I, you know, I've given myself enough time where I've been in a surplus and actually my testosterone levels go up, it's not I've become angrier. Mm-hmm. I'm actually like a lot nicer guy because mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm able to tolerate the little things a lot more. I'm just, I'm naturally a lot happier. Right. Um, and it's that, you know, you're seeing like the, the mental mood swings that aren't there anymore and you mm-hmm. actually sort of t- tend to spend a lot more time in the same mood, which tends to be a more positive mood. Yeah. With that, I think I know the answer based on your um, your future aspirations and putting mm. competitive side behind it. Um, a scale of zero to ten, yeah. ten being yeah, it's going to happen. Right. What's the odds that you jump on some uh, performance enhancing substances? No, um, again, I've, I've thought about this for a lot, and I was thinking about potentially doing so it'd be TRT, which is testosterone replacement therapy. Um, but my whole, you know, my whole life, my whole thing has been. Um, you know, wanting to be the best that I can naturally. And I think it's that thing of, you know, probably realising that even if, if I spent the next year bulking, are my testosterone levels going to go back to sky high? No. But on the flip side of that, do I want them to be? So, like, there's a lot of guys that I've trained with or I know from the gym, the minute they get onto, like, TRT or the minute they start pumping other stuff into their body, and it's, you go, you, you've completely flipped the 180 in what I'm like. So, at the minute, I am super grouchy and super tired and i snap real quick on the little things that people do because i'm tired mm. whereas they're at the opposite end where like it's the little little thing that someone does and they're just angry towards that person right um and like a lot of guys i've spoken to who have done stuff and they really struggle with it mm. and the key thing they all say or majority of them say is don't do anything you know and if you've if a majority of the room tell you not to do something there's probably a very good reason for mm. that and the few who do tell you to get on gear I look at them. Firstly, they don't compete, mm-hmm. which is weird. Like everybody I've ever spoken to that competes and takes stuff tells you not to take stuff. Do it naturally. And the ones that don't compete and do tell you to take gear, I look at them and I'm like, I wouldn't want your physique. And I probably wouldn't want your life as well. Like mm-hmm. I've, I'm very happy at the lifestyle and you know the people I'm around. Um, and yeah, I might not have a high testosterone level or might have quite a low one at the minute. But as long as that goes a little bit higher, 
and I'm towards what a normal person needs to be, a normal male needs to be, then you know I don't need to potentially in the future put my myself or mm. those around me into detriment just to get that fixed. I think that's um that's a message that I really wanted to make clear because I th I thought you'd be of that opinion. Mm. I think one of the concerns I've got is um with TikTok and new social media, there's a lot of guys that are on stuff that have made it seem like it's the best thing in the world. And I'm hearing more and more 16, 17 year olds that have gone to the gym for a month, not seen any progress. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they're jumping on gear at that age. And it's so, so dangerous. Um, and it's nice to have the message from someone that's doing very well in mm. bodybuilding and who's, first of all, not using uh, gear of mm. any kind, but also supplements, not over spending money on supplements that aren't really doing a lot. It's you know there's a reason why there is so much money into supplements but also you know at the same time so little good information and there's part of that are the tiktokers and you know you get tiktokers that admit they're on gear a lot of the tiktokers or people of social media take gear and they will tell you they're natural of course firstly for that if it looks like a duck sounds like a duck probably a duck <laughs> so if you're looking at people that are you know like ifbb level competitors yeah. and you're looking at this influencer and they've actually got a fairly similar physique well, I'll tell you for a fact now, no one has ever been on IFBB stage natural. There's right. a reason for that, because your body just naturally cannot get to the demand yeah, that you yeah, need yeah. to be on that stage. Um, and on the other side of it, there is, I would even go as far as to say a lot of PTs, they will give misinformation just to sell their products. Mm -hmm. So whether that is to sell my time as a PT, whether that is to sell my supplement or the supplement company that sponsor me. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, this is why I go back to you look look into the literature. There is only one um, supplement that you can buy that's not illegal in this country that is scientifically proven to work, and that's creatine. Yeah. So if anyone's going to take a supplement post listening to this, you know, the only thing I'd recommend is creatine. Mm -hmm. But again, with that, watch your goals, and also bearing in mind that there's there's about a thirty percent buffer of people that it might not work for. Yeah. So if you're not seeing results from that then come off of it, but also, you know, get your blood work done. Mm -hmm. um, and particularly, it's interesting because like, I've had friends that have been diagnosed with depression or have like had real mental health struggles. Mm -hmm. And the weird cases for them guys, and again, this is my male friends, they've gone and got the blood work done, found that they had low testosterone. They've been, you know, medically prescribed onto a TRT and it's actually like worked for them. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's that, you know, if, if you do go onto something like that, not taking it because you want to, but actually... And again, I had one friend who took it because he was trying to have a kid, mm -hmm. had a kid as a result. Oh, that's so amazing. it's that if you do, you know, if you do take something, it's medically prescribed. You've sat down with a, a medical professional, a doctor, they've done your blood work and they're actually prescribing you something to make your health better. Yeah. If you're doing it to look good, just don't. Have you got any other advice for um, someone who has looked at bodybuilding and gone, it's interesting, not sure yeah. if I want to give it a go? <laughs> On that, if you really, really want to do it, do it because you're going to go through hell. But when you're on stage, there is nothing in your life that will ever come close to that experience. Mm -hmm. Like, I never forget my first time going out there. And my first pose, my first big pose I hit was my rear double bicep. You know, I've got a good back. When you're comparing it to other natural bodybuilders and you hear that crowd, like the reactions that back and you're like, wow. Um, but if it's one of the things you're um and are and I might try it, don't because you'll only ever hate it. The other key thing I'd say for that as well, if you do compete, naturally this is don't water cut. Because um, I had it my first competition. I woke, like, I did a water cut, dropped five kilo in 48 hours, woke up the day before my comp and lost vision in my left eye. 
oh. and that actually happened this Thursday. Wow. So I'd like effectively accidentally um, water cut, like purely dehydrated by mistake. I wow. just didn't put enough sodium or didn't drink enough water that day. Woke up on the Thursday and I went into work and like my eyes were like, it was like a little bit of pain. But mm -hmm. as I'm looking around, I'm like something doesn't look right here. And it's like, I can see you, but everything behind you was a blur. Or I'm looking at a piece of paper and it's blurry. Okay. And it was like really like in my left eye and in my right eye was blurry, but not as much my left. And I'm like, okay, it's probably dehydration. So immediately, you know, salted up my water, got my sodium in. I, you know, got, I think it was like four or five liters of water into me. So rehydrated like quite mm -hmm. drastically. But the key thing is putting the salt in because then you don't overhydrate and then flush out all the good stuff that you I need. See. Okay. Um, got up the next day. And again, like there was a bit of a feeling there, but my vision was pretty much back. Okay. Um, and I think that's the thing with like you know we're naturally we're not designed to cut water and this is why when you see it in sports like a, you know you go to MMA or the UFC or boxing water cutting is super dangerous for them athletes yeah. as much as it is for a bodybuilder because you know you unless you're taking things that allow you to cut the water out of certain areas a lot of the water is going to go outside like your brain or it's going to affect your body yeah no I can see that and um I think that's uh, another thing for people that are good, trying to do severe cuts and stuff. You see them, you know, with sweatsuits on and doing all this exercise. Yeah. And it's not healthy. It, like, that's got to do damage. It doesn't just drop the number off the scales for free. There, mm. is, there is a repercussion of it. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I'll, I'll wrap it up. There's a question that I have always wondered Yeah. when it comes to bodybuilding. You go and get a, a rather substantial spray tan before yes. you go onto stage. <laughs> My question is, how long does that last? Um... <laughs> probably last I've got a story around this but it probably lasts about a week but you get like two or three days post comp where you've got like the most amazing tan <laughs> and then you by the end of the week you look like a tiger bread roll because it like comes off in different Sweats, places at yeah. different times but my uh, story is my first comp like the way it happens or the way I've always had it happen for me is it's the, the day before you're going you'll get your spray done so they put two coats on mm -hmm. Um, and you've got to wear like baggy clothing and like you can't wash your body, wash your hair, anything like that. Like there's real strict rules for a reason they give you around it. But then you, um, so anyway, I went away that night, me and my best mate, we went out for some food. Firstly, like sitting in central London, spray tanned off and, you know, having food. I remember this waiter really struggled with me because it's like, he's looking at me, it's like he's got these white guy facial features, but he's not white. I don't know why it was like, I, I could tell I really freaked this guy out. Like, yeah, yeah. And then the next day where it's in a central London, we were right by the uh, Natural History Museum. Mm -hmm. My bet Sir George, uh, my best mate who you know, and uh, him being like, he's the only person ever known to be like, like, do you want to go to Natural History Museum? Yeah. And I've like meant like, this is the one where my eyesight's gone. I can't see anything. I mentally checked out. And I was like, if, if this is going to make your day, yeah we'll, yeah, we'll go and do this. And I'm walking around this Natural History Museum people looking at me like is he part of the exhibit like what what is this guy like i get a lot of people like taking photos of me like what is it um gone to the so i've got down to the, the comp a bit earlier and like so it's the same place i'm competing at on sunday yeah but you effectively go like under the stage and there's this like dungeon area really where mm -hmm. like all the competitors go so i've got in there early seen the spray tan lady and i've got these so I've got my comp pants. I've got these track bottoms on. Mm -hmm. I pulled up the track bottoms. They could only go up to there, but she's looking and she's like, okay, all the tan there from like, say that level down looks good. I've taken off my top there. Now the only place I can't show her is like in and around that yeah, area. Yeah. So she's like, yeah, looks good. Anyway, sat there chilling. It's probably about 30 minutes before I've got to go out. 
and um, I've gone to put on the competition pants. And as I've gone to put them on, like on the side of my leg, there is a white mark in the shape of something. And the first one I can think is my mum is here, like <laughs> in the like, like the front row. I'm like, I do not want her because you you are really really dark on stage. And then there's going to be this white mark in the yeah. shape. So I'm like, I've got to find this lady quick. And I'm sprinting around backstage looking for this spray tan lady. And I'm like. If I can't get her, if she can't like spray me up now, I'm yeah. not going out on stage because, yeah, I've put in nine months of hard work to get to this position, but I'd rather just not compete than like <laughs> the embarrassment I'm going to face the yeah, rest of yeah, my yeah. life. Like particularly like when you have the photos if I get put into magazines <laughs> or whatever. Anyway, she's like spray tad me just before you go onto stage. I put on this thing on your body called glow. Right. So you are like a very dark brown. They put this like glow gloss on your body just before you go out, and within ten seconds you go from very dark brown to like black yeah um but then you know you go on you look great you come off and it's that night in the shower you jump into the shower and it's when that like glow comes off and you just got oh, the spray okay. tan and it looks like something out of a horror movie because you look down at the water and all of this water is just like black and depending on like if you're in a bath or whatever yeah it builds up and it yeah it can look like quite quite scary yeah because i didn't know i didn't know about this thing glow so yeah. i thought that's genuinely what you had to be like for a week yeah and i can imagine anyway that you'd get a lot of looks with a dark tan but yeah. at that level would be particularly interesting um yeah that's one of the things that i think i, I wouldn't want to do if i i like i said i don't think i'm going to get into bodybuilding but um <laughs> i the, the fake tan thing to me has always been really really funny but i, I mean you need it because the light on the stage is really yeah. showing the definition yeah so you don't get like washed out so yeah you don't want to you don't wanna look like a white t-shirt when mm. you're on there um but no i, I was going to say um a little bit of announcement because I haven't said it on the Mindsets uh, podcast Instagram page or TikTok or, or anything like that. Um, now that I'm back from Asia, uh, one of the things I want to do is I, I want to continue doing the podcast, but I want to move some more content onto the YouTube channel. So what I'd like to do is train with some of the people mm. to make a mockery of myself uh, for the people watching, um, but to demonstrate the way that different people train, um, things that you might be able to learn, tips and tricks, um, but also show that something might be really hard because as a person that has you know i'm pretty comfortable in my fitness level if i was to go and train with stevie i'm sure i'd get put through my paces and a lot of people that go oh bodybuilding's not that hard or i don't know training as an uh, nfl d lineman or the paralympic cyclist that we've spoken to oh maybe that's really hard and if i can show that you know it's actually achievable for someone watching or listening or in fact stop mocking them because it's not that easy um, I think would be something that's quite entertaining uh, and I'm, I'm very willing to make myself a guinea pig. Does the six-month diet cut come in part of this? <laughs> Unlikely, uh, I think, is the, the answer to that. Uh, I think right now, having got back from Asia and rediscovered cheese, there's a low likelihood of me uh, of getting on a, a six-month cut for now. But I'll definitely um, hit you up. Obviously, you've got your competition coming up in a week, so best of luck for that. Thank you. Um, and maybe after that, when you go into more of a bulking phase, I'll come and join you and uh we could do a session we can have a catch-up hopefully you'll uh you'll be approaching if not have gathered your pro card um yeah so that, that could be this again so this weekend's the european championships in london um competing in men's physique and classic physique if i get top three i qualify for the world championships in toronto in november if i win either of them categories i get my pro card there and then so that i mean the goal is to get my pro card this year yeah. um and then there's some other news coming out around that post whether my one competition or two competitions mm -hmm. this year is done 
Well, very exciting, and um, I'm sure that based on the people that will be listening, you're going to have some new following and some <laughs> new fans. Where can they find you and show some support? Um, I think I think it's literally called Stevie Award, no spaces, but I, I don't really I'll put it in the bio, whatever it is. Thank you. Um, and yeah, people can pay attention, see how you get on, maybe even turn up in person and give you a couple of woos um, <laughs> while you're out there. But uh, I just want to say thank you very much for coming on. I've learned a lot more about you, um, which is one of the reasons I love doing this. Um, I've learned a lot of uh, different lessons from how you approach gym and your training. And I'm hoping that the people listening have as well. Um, for anyone listening that has just stumbled upon the uh, stumbled upon the podcast, damn. Um, we are at Mindsets Podcast um, with an underscore between the two. So Mindsets underscore podcast on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, all of that. Um, so if you would like to drop us a follow, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, give it a share let your friends know uh, and see where we can take this thing Uh, is there anything you would like to plug Um, no it's just thank you for having me it's been Been an absolute pleasure mate Uh, and hopefully I will catch up with you again in future and you can put me through the paces sounds good to me nice one alright everyone take care and we'll catch you in the next episode bye